Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of the Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. Hi, my name is Allison Bobbitt, and I'm here as always with my husband, Mike Bobbitt. And this is the podcast where we make one another watch movies the other's never seen before. And Mike, you made me watch Cujo. You made me watch. Why'd you make me watch this? You made me watch something I didn't like. Next time we'll watch something I like. But I can't believe you made me watch. So what did you think of Cujo? It is the story of people horribly neglecting their pets and relationships. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Uh, to give the listener a little bit of background, it has been about a month or so since we recorded the preview episode for this mm-hmm. because first you were very close to the end of the pregnancy mm-hmm. and super hormonal. Mm-hmm. So the thought of watching a mom helplessly trying to defend <laughs> her son against a terror just did not sound appealing to you. And we considered maybe saving the preview episode for a different time Mm -hmm. and watching something a little easier for your hormones. But then you had a, you were getting regular checkups to see how Harrison was doing. And your OB said, uh, yeah, we're going to yank them out early. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yes. in the time since we recorded the preview episode, which was quote unquote last week. Yes. Uh, we have uh, had a baby. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Who is in your arms right now. He sure is. Yeah. I think he's passed out now. So post pregnancy hormones and post uh, a week of pretty dismal uh depression postpartum mm-hmm. depression do you think Cujo maybe sat in your stomach <laughs> a little bit better than if we had watched it earlier oh I think I would have been very upset about it if we watched it while I was still pregnant or right after I had him yeah because you didn't seem terribly upset watching it because I did Mm-mm. point out as it started, because I know how you feel about horrible things happening to animals in movies. Mm-hmm. And one of the trivia things that I read was that all of the St. Bernards were having such a good time <laughs> and wagging <laughs> their tails so much that they had to tie down their tails to yes. their back leg. But you can still clearly see <laughs> their tails. Several times where the dogs are so happy their tails are wagging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but tied down low. But tied down low so their tails, they're just so happy. <laughs> yeah. And being conscious of that, like anytime the dogs were trying to get into the cars and stuff, I was just 
so picturing the cameraman in the front seat and the animal trainer right over uh, the cameraman, who in this case was Jan DeBont, who is the director of Speed, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. which ended up being a huge hit. And then he followed it up with Speed 2. And then they said, Jan DeBont, you can't make movies anymore. No, just the one was fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So over Jan DeBont's uh, shoulder with a squeak toy. (laughs) So the St. Bernard's (laughs) were like, oh, let me eat the car. Let me eat the car. Oh, yeah. You were like, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of toys they're trying to get to right now. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All the dogs were, their move to make him look sick was, I think, just like throw some mud and like caro syrup and then like get his face, like hit, make his eyes look real leaky. So they put like pudding or something <laughs> on it. It was really gross. A lot of it was done with egg whites. And oh, okay. The dogs were just constantly licking the makeup off. I was wondering about that. I'm like, how happy were these dogs that they were just like, yes, I am covered in treats Mm -hmm. and there are toys everywhere and I get to jump on a bunch of people and (laughs) that's amazing. Yep. They were probably having the best time. I think you can clearly see why the scene in Beethoven where he's all muddy and dirty on the bed and he starts shaking off made me think, oh, yeah, we should watch Cujo. Yes. Oh, yes. Because he's muddy and dirty through almost the entire movie. Like he starts off totally normal mm-hmm. and then uh, he's chasing a rabbit. The rabbit runs in a hole that apparently is full of bats, which makes no sense. And then uh, he gets his head stuck in the bat hole and a bat bites him. And now he has rabies. Can you try to keep it clean? <laughs> <laughs> sorry and then Cujo becomes Bruce Wayne then he becomes Batman it was so hilarious to me that these people are like I love my dog my dog is my best friend but there's my a, dog giant, has a giant gaping wound, wound on his snout and he's getting sicker and sicker looking and I'm like he's fine yes he's just being a dog <laughs> well you know they grew up on a farm Outdoor animals and, you know, the, yeah, the, the dad, Ed uh, Lautner, um, mm-hmm. was apparently very close to Cujo, but yeah, it, sh- it certainly doesn't show in it. It no. seems like the, the kid played by Billy Jane was definitely much more into Cujo than his dad was. Yeah, he was like, uh, something's wrong with him, but then it, it's very clear. And then, yeah, the mom, who is from World According to Garp, is just like, don't say anything to your dad. Don't say anything. Yeah, like, don't say anything. We're getting out, like, she's clearly fleeing her marriage. <laughs> yeah, because she won $5,000. She the won the lottery for $5,000, and yeah. she bought her husband a present and then ran Which away. Which he got mad about. Yeah, which he was pissed. Yeah. He's like, why would you do that? Yeah. She got him uh, an engine hoist. Yes. Because he's a mechanic and works out of his barn. So Yeah. So that was hilarious. E-I-E-I-O. Do you want to say something into the microphones first and then go downstairs and hang out with Grandma? Good job, bud. Thank you, pal. That was great. Yay. Yay. All right. Did you like the movie, though? It was all right. It it had kind of a miniseries feel to it. Yeah, it was very weird the way it kept fading to black, because this was not a made-for-television. Yeah, I know. I don't think. I don't think so either. I thought it was in the theater. I thought it was, too. But it it definitely seemed to be edited (laughs) like it was for television. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like... I mean, there's one... 
shot of the aftermath but there are actually differences in the edited for television version uh, versus the VHS uh, home video version, mm-hmm. uh, where apparently the um, television version ends with a, a sex scene between uh, the husband and wife to let you know, like, they're back together. You survived a dog. Now I can survive you cheating on me with your real life husband. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, but, that was also yeah, it was yeah. two people. So there's a parallel. There's the the mechanic and his wife, and his wife is like, "Peace out." Yeah. And then there's there's D. Wallace and uh, the dude from Hardcastle McCormick. Yeah. And they seem like they get along great, but D. Wallace is cheating on him with his tennis buddy, who's played by D. Wallace's real life husband, Chris Stone. And there's really no reason why. Right. She's like, I don't know. I just kind of, it seemed like she was just bored. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's a stupid reason to cheat on your husband. Yeah. There are a couple criticisms of the book versus the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is that the kid dies in the book. Well, I hate that. Yeah. (laughs) I appreciate that they did not kill off the small child. Right. And then the other one is that the book is sort of a a sequel to Dead Zone uh, in that these are like two of the first Stephen King novels that take place in Castle Rock. And in Dead Zone, there's a serial killer named uh, Frank Dodd, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Frank Dodd. When he is killed, apparently there's like a supernatural force oh. tied to... And it's sort of like the same thing that Stephen King does a lot with like the Pennywise thing. Yeah, and, it's like you know, yeah, some supernatural evil yeah. entity that takes over the geographical area right. that they're there's in, always yeah. like some sort of uh connection to these characters this boogeyman character also being randall flag from the stand mm. and stuff like that but um like needful things takes place in castle rock uh i don't know if he touches on the supernatural stuff with stand by me but i don't think so i'm imagining there's probably more of an explanation of why the mom, I think her name is Donna. Yes. Is having an affair. Yeah, having an affair because it's not really clear. And she just the, says it's all she does is end it. Yeah. And the guy seems to be kind of a loser. Like he has a bed in the front room of his house. Yeah. And he just kind of that's on the floor out and mattress bed on the floor. All day. Yeah. Yeah. Her husband seems to be very attentive and he's a successful yeah. marketing guy. And uh, a he's good, good dad? with their kid, yeah. And then also in the book, there it's supposed to be uh, hinted at that there is an actual supernatural force in his the kid Tad's closet. Oh, the, so there is yeah. actually something there, because yeah. The, yeah, the kid um, is afraid of something in his closet, which is, I mean, that's pretty normal fodder for kids to be afraid of the dark and shadows or whatever be afraid that there's something under your bed or in your closet or whatever that's why i started hoarding at an early age monsters (laughs) couldn't fit in my closet god (sighs) um i i think the castle rock television series probably addresses all of these issues a little bit more yeah probably and it makes me wish uh uh, you know it it might be worth a second visit the castle rock series i I know it i think it only lasted two seasons before it got canceled um i think so i don't know did we start it yeah we did and then we just kind of got like eh. which one what was it about what was the there first? was the 
Who is in prison it? thing? And there is like the warden that kept going down to oh, the. Oh, yeah. that's right. There's just a lot of like, what the fuck there was is too all much this? going on? Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of I think intersecting stories, and I was like, I don't, I don't know, right? Man. Yeah. Uh, Stephen King does think D. Wallace's performance in this is the best performance any actor is given in any adaptation of any of his works. I mean, followed by Kathy Bates in in Misery. Misery, yeah, fair. I mean, I think she does a really good job of being a, a mom desperate to try and help her kid, you yeah. know, because he's you know, he's just a little guy. He's just a little guy. Yeah. Uh, Danny Pintaro from Who's the Boss plays the kid. This he's came out a year cute. before Who's the Boss came out. So like the following year, he gets Who's the Boss. Yeah. Is he like four or five? He's, he's six years old. In this, so and he wasn't little. even able to read yet. Like he had to have someone like tell him, tell him all of his lines. Oh, he was so cute. Yeah. He, he did great. He did really good. Did not love, you know, as he like was seemingly dying. I was like, oh, my God, don't kill this kid off. He was fine, right. obviously. And also, like, even in the book, it's not a real child, but whatever. Yeah. I digress. Yeah. But I mean, I I certainly understand feeling like desperate as far as I mean, not that I've ever been in peril or our kids have ever been in peril, but I can under like, I think you certainly also feel that way where you're like, I will face down a goddamn dog to right like i'll fight a dog Mm -hmm. i almost uh kicked a chicken in the face (laughs) when (laughs) when benji was probably like 18 months old or something like that i took him to the domino farms that's near our house because they have a petting farm and there's like chickens running around and he's just like playing and like looking at stuff and there was one chicken that was like super territorial and it started charging at him. And I was like, I'm going to step in front of this chicken. And if it doesn't stop, I'm going to have to kick a chicken in the face. Like, <laughs> it stopped. But I was like, don't make me, like, I will fight you. I killed a spider with my bare hands rescuing our son. You are so brave. I know. You are so brave. I wanted to teach Benji not to kill. And one morning he said that there was a spider on his racetrack and I expected it to be like lint or something. And I looked and there was the biggest spider I've seen in a long time in Michigan. And I was like, okay, all right, don't appear scared. I was like, spiders are our friends, but And uh, so I grabbed like 50 Kleenexes (laughs) and picked up the spider and uh, tossed it outside in the backyard. I was like, yeah, he lives outside. There was a frost and he probably died. Oh, yeah, he's probably. But Benji doesn't know. He doesn't need to know. He believes that it's okay to not kill. That's fine. uh, Yeah. He can do that. He can do that. Mm -hmm. Maybe he'll be the one who gets rid of spiders. That would be awesome. If we're like, Benji, can you come get the spider in the shower? When I lived by myself before you and I, many years before you and I were together, Muffin used to eat spiders. Oh, yeah. And she's she was like the tiny scrappy cat that we had. Um, may she rest in peace. But if there was a spider in my apartment, I would just hold her up and be like, eat that shit. <laughs> she would eat it. <laughs> Because I didn't want to do anything about it. Well, that explains her demeanor later in life when she met me. Yeah, she was like, "Mm." You want me to get rid of this nuisance too? (laughs) Here, let me shit on him. (laughs) She only did that, what, once or twice? Yeah. Mm. So I completely forgot that they don't 
end up stranded in the car until about halfway through the movie. Yeah. Like the first half is a lot of character development, yeah. which is true to Stephen King stuff. Fair, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was much more um, them, in, them in the car, but um, I mean, I didn't know. I had no idea. But yeah, there was a lot of setup to, you know, for you to... I mean, it was good, like, tension building where you're like, okay, like, you see this dog, like, getting more rabid. I did think it was hilarious that by the time the dog's owner realized it was rabid, it had already killed, like, the guy's friend. <laughs> and then the dog comes out and comes out of somewhere and he's like, oh, no, you're rabid. I'm like, how did you not fucking notice? Right. He's just as gross as he was an hour ago <laughs> yeah. when you saw him. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? But now he has red caro syrup all over Yeah, now he's face. covered in red caro syrup and your friends looks like they just dump SpaghettiOs out all over his throat. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of that one with Renee Zellweger where she played the lady who killed her neighbor thing about Pam. Oh, yeah. Where the husband is out of town and he can't get in touch with his wife. So, you know, he's oh. just imagining the worst. No. Are you thinking of the candy one? Oh, yeah, Candy, yeah, with uh, we watched Jessica. A, Jessica Beal, where yeah, he's yeah, yeah, trying to right. call and call and call, and it had uh, Melanie, Link Melanie Linsky, Linsky yeah. in it. Yeah, he kept calling and calling, and finally... Also, that drove me crazy, where he was, like, calling, calling, calling for two days. I'm sorry, if, like, more than six hours went by and you didn't answer my phone call, I'd be like, all right, well, I'm calling the police. The fact that he... It took him two days to go home, and that he didn't even call someone to go check... Well, he could have also thought, what if she left me for this? Like, I, I I, think they could have made that a little clearer. Like, why doesn't he call the police? Is he assuming that, you know, that she, she left? Yeah. The dude or, you know, I suppose I, you know. I, I guess I can sort of understand that. But I'm also like, if you left and I couldn't get a hold of you and I didn't know where my kids were, I would lose my shit. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like. I, I didn't understand that part. Right. But I think you're right. It was, he could have thought that she left him. Mm -hmm. And then he gets home and his house is trashed because the the, lover, the lover yeah, yeah. Um, was like, just went over there and was like, oh, she's not here. I guess I'm going to just stab every pillow to death in this house. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, literally, it's just feathers everywhere. Apparently that is clearer in the book, too. Oh, okay. Yeah. This was directed by Louis Teague, who also directed the Stephen King adaptation of a bunch of his short stories called Cat's Eye mm -hmm. that Drew Barrymore is in. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, Jan DeBont was the director of photography on this. He did this. This is like his second big Hollywood movie. His first one. I'm only oh, no. going to go into this because it kind of mirrors Cujo a little bit. Okay. Have you ever heard of the movie Roar? That yes. is the movie directed and produced by, um, I think, Peter Griffith, who was Melanie Griffith's dad and Tippi Hedren's yeah. husband at the time. And it's a movie about uh, what if what if there's this family that had to live with large cats, like tigers and lions and stuff. And it is notorious for... All of the injuries and maulings in productions where they couldn't get regular actors and actresses to play it. So 
Peter Griffith was like, well, I'm just going to have my wife, Tippi Hedren. She was scarred uh, by Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, in Birds. Birds. And I'll just have my daughter. Yeah, I sort of remember that there's pictures of like Melanie Griffith with like a lion, like as a Uh child. Yeah. So um, Jan DeBont, that's his first big Hollywood movie. Did anybody die? No, uh, because he did Cujo afterwards, and he wasn't a ghost when he made Cujo. I guess that's true. Um, but he did get scalped by a lion. <gasps> oh, my God. Yes. And <gasps> Melanie Griffith also got mauled by a lion, and I think they both needed something like 50 stitches, like Jan DeBond needed 50 stitches to put his hair his back, scalp on. back on. And oh my God. Melanie Griffith needed uh, like 50 stitches to put her face back on. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. So, um, and then this is... um, Jesus Christ, that's horrifying. Oh, it gets more horrifying. Are you ready? Yeah. Uh, So here's, I think, kind of a neat coincidence. Peter Griffith plays Laurie Strode's dad in Halloween. Mm -hmm. Uh, Laurie Strode played by Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm -hmm. And Jamie Lee Curtis, like Melanie Griffith, their moms are both Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Lead, She's Janet. Woman. Yeah, uh, Janet, Janet Lee is daughter. her mom. Yeah, and both of their dads are actors: Tony Curtis and this Peter Griffith. Yeah, Yahoo. Um, Yahoo. Well, <laughs> it gets weirder. <laughs> Roar was co-written by Ted Cassidy, who plays Lurch in Adam's Family. Interesting. Who also teamed up with Peter Griffith, Melanie Griffith, and Tippi Hedren to make a graphic sex comedy <laughs> called The Herod Experiment. Ab- well. Uh, have you ever heard of that? It's a 1970s no. movie about like, what if we put like boys and girls in like dorm rooms together and just see how they have sexual escapades and a young Don Johnson's in it and a 16 year old Melanie Griffith is oh, in it. Oh, yeah. Is that how she met her husband? Because that's gross. I mean, later. <laughs> yep. They did certainly meet later. So uh, that was also co-written by Ted Cassidy. So um I'm looking at Lurch in a whole new way now. You rang. Yeah. You want me to write a sex comedy? Yikes. That's a lot of yikes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all terrifying. Yeah. As much as I'm upset about the sex comedy, I'm still pretty horrified that a man put his child, wife and child in a movie with obviously not well-managed large cats uh-huh. and they were mauled by them yes tippy edrin formed the roar foundation afterwards which is still going uh because she's still alive mm-hmm. um which uh helps rescue large cats so there is a that silver is lining good yeah but i also know that she's probably pretty traumatized by animals <laughs> like <laughs> Right. I think she's like, you know what? Maybe they shouldn't be on film. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should just be in a in a sanctuary and not, um, I don't know, let loose on people. Right. For entertainment's sake. Yeah. So I have a couple more trivia things. And then I told you that I'm going to be able to tie this directly into Beethoven mm-hmm. and Scooby-Doo. Okay. And Santa's little helper from The Simpsons. Yes. 
Okay. Okay. So, uh, like I said before, Chris Stone and Dee Wallace Stone were married. They were married for 15 years from mm-hmm. 1980 up until 1995 when he died at 55 years old of a heart attack. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. They uh, they made The Howling together back mm-hmm. in, I think, 1981. Mm-hmm. And then they also made a TV series called The New Lassie, Another Dog Connection. I should have told you that I was going to tie this into Lassie, too. Yeah. Mm. They made uh, the new Lassie together. Okay. Which uh, had Leonardo DiCaprio in a couple episodes. All right. Yeah, he was a child. Yeah. Actor. And what's kind of neat about that is that came out when he and I were both in high school, and now he dates girls in high school. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't 25 is cut off? He's like, ooh, we got to break up. I guess he's dating a 19-year-old now. Gross. He is 50. Yes. Dee Wallace and uh, Chris Stone had a daughter uh, who is doing horror movies now, too, which is pretty much where Dee Wallace's career mm-hmm. is at these days. And um can't remember the name of their daughter. I want to say it's like Lillian or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, to tie it into us and to Michigan, like I like to do, mm-hmm. Dee Wallace is also in the movie Dark Fields, which was one of David Carradine's last movies shot mm. in Troy, Michigan, my hometown, oh. and co-starring a very early role of our friend, James Kenneth Graham, a.k.a. Jimmy Doom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Aww, yeah. It was one of those cool. things, too, where David Carradine told Jimmy, like, you know, Quentin Tarantino would love you. And, and uh, then he... Then he died. Died. God yeah. damn it. Uh, Danny Pintaro is still acting. Yes, I did know that. Yep. And he's really close with Judith Light because yeah. uh, Judith Light helped him come out because I think a tabloid was about to out yeah, him. Yeah, a tabloid was about to out him. So he just said, fuck it, I'll just do an interview. And in 1997, he came out. Mm-hmm. And then in 2003, he also revealed that he's HIV positive. Oh, But sweetie. he's been married uh, to a fella for quite some time. Oh, that's great. And he does say that Judith Light and Tony Danza are kind of like second parents to him. Mm-hmm. And... Last November, Alyssa Milano announced that there is a Who's the Boss reboot that's uh, that's supposed to be very life-affirming and progressive uh, in the works. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tony Danza is attached to it, too. Oh, nice. And um, no news on, you know, if Danny Pintaro or Judith Light are. But I I would imagine if it happens, that would be really cool. They're both still working, so it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Here is the tie-in to Beethoven directly. Okay. Uh, Billy Jane, a.k.a. Billy Jacoby, who played the, the farm kid. Kid, yeah. He is also in The Burbs, which was shot on that Colonial Avenue <laughs> yeah. on the back lot of Universal Studios. Where Beethoven. Beethoven, the running down the street. Yes, the dog part of was. Beethoven was shot, yes. Okay. That was, you got there. Yep. You got there. This is going to be a big one. Oh, Lord. Here we go. <laughs> you commented on the, uh, they're like, I feel like they're just overdubbing dog growls because the dogs just look very happy. Yes. Uh, they not only overdub dog growls, but they had Frank Welker, who is probably the most prolific voiceover actor working today do the dog growls he does a lot of animal noises i think he did the sounds for the monkey 
in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. And in fact, he's done so many voices and, and stuff like that and like animal noises mm-hmm. that he's in something like the top five of actors in the highest grossing films of all time. Wow. Yeah. That and, makes um, sense. I feel like I heard Billy West talk about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He does like the voice of Megatron mm-hmm. in uh, Transformers. And I think the thing that you and I most know him as is... Uh, Dr. Claw, I'll yes. get you next time, Gadget. Gadget. Next time. Love it. Uh, and he is also, uh, has played Fred in every iteration of Scooby-Doo animated Aww, ever. Oh, that's so cool. So there is the tie-in there. And the other dog that he has voiced is... Santa's little helper from The Simpsons. And let's switch over to Cats now. He also did the voice in The Simpsons of... Snowball? Snowball 2. Wow. And Azrael the cat in The Smurfs. Wow. What range? That's so crazy. Megatron and Dr. Claw is also the voice of... That's so crazy. Yeah. I, w- I was listening to one of the um, Futurama commentaries because that's yeah the kind of <laughs> nerd that we- that I am, and they were talking about. I-, I believe they were talking about him, and they're like, "Have you ever heard him do a flock of geese? Like he could do an entire flock of geese." Oh yeah, and they're they're like, "It's amazing! Like he's so incredibly talented." Because you know people love uh, Billy West as well. Mm-hmm. Because um, he's also incredibly talented. He's like, oh, I can't hold a candle to uh, Frank to Welker. Frank Welker, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- there's a documentary about voiceover actors. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Um, seeing him work is just like wow. Mm-hmm. Like it really is. I mean, I know that we're kind of in an age where if you're a celebrity with a somewhat unique voice, you can end up getting a lot of voiceover work. And that kind of is cutting into a lot of the traditional like voiceover casting, I guess, that we were used to seeing. But at the same time, I feel like if you want, yes, there are some, you know, just regular actors who have, you know, kind of made their way into voiceover. Mm. There is still such an art to it. You know, they can't. That very specialized work isn't going to be lost on a celebrity voice you know what i mean right yeah like it is still quite an art form oh yeah you look at something like the cast of bob's burgers Mm -hmm. where they are predominantly comedians yes but they nail it so well yes um i was looking to see there's a audio from thundercats outtakes Uh i was wondering if frank welker was one of the people in that it's between like uh snarf and uh Lion-O. but <laughs> yes. lino was larry kenny mm-hmm. who is carrie kenny's from oh. reno 911's dad oh that's and, so cool uh, the outtakes of that are so raunchy and hilarious it. so i might drop those into the episode oh you right should about here I should have known the Terrator didn't mean us any harm when the Sword of Omens didn't obey me. And anyway, it was just plain stupid to assume it might be bad. Just what the <laughs> fuck am I talking about? You, you've got to snap out of it, Lion-O. Call the Thundercats before. Shut up, you fuck. Oh, Lion-O. We're not. <coughs> What's the matter, Snarf? You got to call. Thunder. 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 Thundercats, I'm going too high. You fucking dog, 
<laughs> it's when Wiley Cat and Kid are pretending to be the most helpful that they're dropping their pens on the thing while I'm talking. <laughs> Those were great. <laughs> you're laughing at something you're not going to hear until the episode. <laughs> I I like your very convincing voiceover yeah, work where you're where like, like <laughs> those are great. That's how I laugh at people um, when they tell me a joke and I don't care. <laughs> you started laughing at me once when we were in the grocery store because somebody said something to me and I was like, oh, <laughs> and then I like clicked off and you were like, you started cracking up and I'm like, what? And you're like, that was so mean. I'm like, what? And you're like, listen, you just basically mocked that man <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because you turned it on and turned it off immediately <laughs> yeah. uh y- you and Brittany, your friend who we our friend yes. who we work with uh have very distinct phony laughs when you're just laughing to be polite and i hear it all day long from Brittany, <laughs> where i'm just like and to me it's the funniest it thing in funny. the world just because i'm like I feel like every time she does that laugh, she dies a little. <laughs> oh, God, because she hates peopling. Like, she hates it. She's very, as much as she has to socialize because of her position, she's really quite introverted and would much rather just chill. Yeah. <laughs> so it is It is really funny when she's fake laughing because yeah. I'm like, she hates that shit. Where I go the exact opposite, where my thing that I like to do at the end of a comedy show, if someone says, you ought to do jokes about Bobbitt, you know, Lorena Bobbitt. And instead of going like, yeah, that would be, uh," instead I'm like, what happened? What are you talking about? (gasps) Wait, What? what? The woman who was constantly raped repeatedly by her husband did what? You should look it up. Yeah. I mean, I heard about how that case changed rape laws, and but she did what? <laughs> and you want me to joke about a woman who was raped repeatedly? I do enjoy that. Legally, you do that. yeah, I go the exact opposite. I know, way of, you know. Although I will say that much less do people bring up our last name now. Yeah, it's kind of phasing out now. It is a very special type of person. It is a very and it, <sighs> yeah. Hey, and it hey. is worthy of your response to it. Whereas I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. Here's a news story that happened 31 years ago that you ought to talk about. In your- Super relevant right yeah. now. Like, you know how your stand up act has nothing to do with like, yeah, pop culture from 31 pop fucking culture years from ago. 31 years ago, but. No, my act does. No, it does. (laughs) Never mind. They may have valid points. I may just be a dick. I still feel like you're in the right. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we watched a movie with uh, either Hardcastle or McCormick, I wasn't a big Hardcastle and McCormick fan. I would not be surprised if Hardcastle McCormick made its way into my act before the end of the year. (laughs) It's just a reference to throw Uh, out there. Yeah. You just have a very specific... We'll say you just have very refined, specific tastes. I have a very narrow demographic. I like telling jokes for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. And the fact that that people have paid money to see it, well, that's on them. (laughs) (laughs) Take that, fans. (laughs) Take that, audiences across the state and country. Uh, So, yeah, that was Cujo. Like I said, I, I got miniseries vibes from it, but it's not bad, you know. 
that could also be because we had to watch it in uh 14 minute increments because benji kept running upstairs i know and we're like you can't watch this movie our son is a little bit afraid of dogs so we're like he cannot watch this movie or he's gonna be traumatized like he cannot watch this so yes we did have to keep stopping it to make sure that our three-year-old didn't accidentally watch Cujo and become a little more traumatized yeah i feel like at least for the next little chunk of time we're gonna have to stray away from uh horror movies or movies that uh could possibly traumatize him yeah yeah Yeah. because you know with a new baby and and a three-year-old who's like i don't want to sleep alone anymore it means you're gonna make me watch more shit like babes in toyland maybe not your childhood Maybe. and my childhood were vastly different. They really were. As we're finding out on this podcast, you were watching Keanu Reeves and Drew Barrymore and Babes in Toyland. It was. And I was watching Cujo. And, uh, but didn't your Aunt Lo her, take you yeah, to the movies like yeah. all the time? And Felicia it was. Jones, I think her name is from uh, Sleepaway Camp. Uh-huh. You know, that's the movie I saw at 11. Felissa. Felissa Rose. Felissa Rose. I was wrong on her first and last name. That's fine. Because I feel like you wanted to say Felicia Rashad. No, I wasn't. I feel like that's what I was hearing you try to say. But you're like, that's clearly not it. Because you know who you know who Felicia Rashad is. You know what Bill Cosby, in all seriousness, according to writers on The Cosby Show, had written into his contract? What? He had an hour off every day to teach comedy to Asian models. And every time serious? Gilbert Gottfried would tell that story, he would say, which is why there's so many funny Asian models running around. That's gross. Uh-huh. Oh, God. I miss Gilbert. Me too. You're out of control. This like a movie, rabid dog. Like a rabid dog. Uh, this movie was fine. I think um, uh, I think it still kind of holds up, you know? Yeah. Although a couple of times you did say, how come she doesn't just get on her cell phone? <laughs> yeah, it would be hard to remake this movie now. Yeah, unless unless her phone died or broke in some way. Yeah. They would have to write that in. But <laughs> Then she could just be like, OnStar? OnStar, help. I look at Cujo as a sequel to Beethoven. No. And Dee Wallace was able to no. do what Dean Jones wanted to do. No. And that is shoot a dog in the head. <laughs> we don't know that she shot the dog in the head we just know that she shot the dog in the book she shoots him in the head well good honor you want to know what stephen king did to really bum people out besides kill the kid what write it and all that sex stuff with the children there's a postscript no in the book it's something about like you know all in all it wasn't really cujo's fault all he really wanted to do in life was be a good boy. Stephen King pisses me off a lot. Like, I just want to throw that out there. He doesn't remember writing Cujo because he was like blackout drunk. The whole I was going to say, I'm like, aren't there a couple of things he doesn't remember really writing because he was yeah. drinking so much? Yeah. I do love Stephen King. It, it makes me wish that we lived in the era of late night talk shows just having interesting people on where like dick cavett would do that and Mm -hmm. like even letterman when i was a kid would just have on you know like authors and newsmakers and stuff like that Mm -hmm. instead of just like hey um you have a movie coming out or whatever um, iggy azalea is that a person 
I think so. Yeah. Has a new album. Let's. uh... That sounds like a person. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember Bobcat doing a joke about Jimmy Fallon. Like, you know, why on earth would I want to hear Jimmy Fallon interview Meryl Streep on her acting process or her inspirations when I could, you know, have him make her sit on balloons filled with shaving cream or something like that. I think Stephen King was on Conan every now and then, Mm. and he would just get very frank with answers where he was talking about writing The Stand, where he's like, yeah, halfway through, I was like, I got all these characters. I I don't know what to do with them. It's too many characters. What if I just nuke a bunch of them? (laughs) What if I just light a bunch of them on fire? Okay, that's less characters. I think I can finish this. Did it. Yeah. Did it. That's funny. And I think that's probably like super honest of him where he's just like, yeah, you know, sometimes I write and then I'm just like, ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually hilarious. I love it. Where other writers would just go back and like, mm-hmm. well, maybe I can condense some of these characters into one character. Stephen King's like, man, I got to put out 19 books this month. <laughs> <laughs> That's and true. Be in my band with Mitch Album. That's true. You know what? I Stephen King does not strike me as the type who um has several drafts. You know, <laughs> he seems like he's like, I did it. Here it is. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. It's, it's working out for him. Yeah. So good on him. Well, I look forward to finding out what kind of uh fluff you make me watch next week that we can watch in front of our child. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, until the next episode, don't have another baby because I didn't put my penis in you in quite some time. So if you did, it's not mine. (laughs) Thanks for listening to You Made Me Watch. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.